0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. And now, a business radio special. Market Madness. What you should do now. Get the information you need on buying, selling, and your 401k. Here's your host, Dan Loney.
1: And hi, everybody, and welcome to our Market Madness special, a special presentation of Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. I am Dan Loney, host of the Knowledge of Wharton program, which airs Monday through Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific times, and we'll be with you for the next hour to try and help you make uh, some sense out of what has been going on with the markets so far this year. It has been a very bumpy ride. We'll have several guests joining us throughout the course of our hour. At the top, we are going to be joined by Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, the author of Stocks for the Long Run and The Future for Investors. He's joining us on the phone from San Francisco. Professor Siegel, as you know, uh, who's behind the markets every Friday on Business Radio, and joining us in the conversation today is his co-host as a guest today, Jeremy Schwartz. Jeremy is the director of research at Wisdom Tree. Gentlemen, great to have you on the show today. Happy to be with you, Dan. Good to talk to you, Dan. Thank you very much. Uh, Professor Siegel, uh, just kind of recap what what you have read into the markets for the first uh, couple of weeks of, of 2016 and all this up and down we have seen.
2: Yeah. Well, fortunately, I see an up on the screen now, now as, as we speak, just up 251 points, a little bit of relief. But, uh, yeah, I, let me tell you what I think are the most important uh, factors impacting the market. And I think it's oil. I think it is very definitely oil. Uh, let, me, let me elaborate on that a, a bit. Uh, yes, it is true that oil, uh, you know, we're, we're still net importers of oil as a country. Mm-hmm. So as oil goes down, overall we benefit. But one has to remember that we have over $2 trillion of capital, locked up in the oil and energy and related industries such as uh uh rails and and others and trucking and uh uh, uh involved in the energy production there's a big question now how much is it worth what uh, you know we we we're, we're hearing stories that at this level you know at least half the frackers Uh, Are losing money will close down. Some have even set up to 75%. Many of the traditional wells are now unprofitable. Uh, uh, I have read that up to one-third of the capital expenditures that the U.S. has had in the last five years has been in the energy sector uh wow! if well, you know no one else is going to be drilling any anywhere else uh or or even exploration at this point, that's a big shock uh what What we have to remember is just because lower prices might be theoretically good when they go down this fast this dramatically uh it it just upsets all plans, and as I said, so many of the capital projects that were successful are not, and everyone's turning around and and trying to find out well what is left. Now, secondarily, China, but I, I don't want to put that first on the list. Okay. China certainly is one of the reasons oil is going down. Although mostly it's because of the tremendous increase in oil that the U.S. has been able to pump through fracking over the last five years, uh, and the the China is is part of the story, and how much it's going to slow down is certainly part of the story. But I think the shock of oil and related commodities, all of mining, sure. I mean, that there, there's a, this whole sector, uh, there's a lot of people that say that we might have 20 to 30% bankruptcies in, in, in this entire sector.
1: Well, and it's interesting because it comes at a time, as you said, that, that you know we've seen such a dramatic drop, but we're also getting ready for Iran to be back as a player in the oil market as well, which seemingly would add more to, to, the, to the mix yeah. here
2: one one has to remember and it is adding more but one does remember that it was used to be selling to china right uh so now china is going to be coming to the market uh so it's not as much of an increase as some have said you yeah. know 3 or 4 million barrels because it was providing to china now it can provide it to anybody and china has to now pay a, you know higher price as far as that's concerned but yes that's another uh perhaps up to a million barrels a day and uh you know they're pumping more I mean, despite the tensions in the East, as we all know, Saudi and, and the other countries are pumping full speed. Yeah, uh, by the way, let me also say that I do think the Saudis want to destroy <laughs> the <laughs> frackers and the alternative energy uh, industry. Um, and they can do it because they, they, they take out oil at 5 to $10 a barrel. And uh, uh, I think what they're saying is I want to put these guys out of business and then raise prices in the future. Now, it's never going to go back to 100 right i don't think i mean i think I mean, the frackers can go all be, get back online to 55 or 60 um but that's still more than double the price that we have today so i think you know saudi's so perfectly happy to see everyone else go under slow down in electric cars slow down and slow down in in solar energy and all that and then you know once those industries are hampered they'll you know begin to reduce supply and try to get it back up to a fifty sixty level uh which I think might be the long run uh, equilibrium
1: Jeremy Schwartz well let you uh, let you jump in here and and add to what uh, Professor Siegel said
2: yeah, no, I was going to try to say
0: professor i mean I've been talking with some some of my friends who I went to Wharton with uh, and some of them are one of them in particular's been in the venture capital industry and he's been involved in the energy space uh and he you know he was uh he and I were talking, and he's getting you know, more medium-term, I mean, obviously nobody knows what's going to happen in the short run, but in, in the medium term, he's getting, you know, fairly bullish on the price of oil. And I was trying to ask him, you know, why, why are you thinking that? And he says, you know, the production base is declining, you know, approximately 5% every year. And now with this major fall-off, he sees a lot of projects being delayed, being canceled, like you're saying. Uh, and, you know, he looks at, you know, the marginal cost of production, he thinks, doesn't support a price below 50 long run uh, and that you know he talks about before yeah. demand really growing one to two percent a year and so he, he thinks a few years from now you're going to see you know you're going to see the, these sort of higher prices
2: yeah now I'm, I'm just checking right now uh in the on uh, on my screen trying to look at some of the far out contracts as far as as oil is is concerned and uh no, we're really not actually it's it as it stands right now we don't get to 50 on the futures market at least on 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 WTI which is the West Texas Intermediate uh even uh looking out now uh to December 2024 so that's mm-hmm. eight years out it's 47 um, but uh i think that's a lot of you know there's a lot of pessimism that's built in there i i agree i think it may take a year for all this to to go offline uh and uh then once it goes offline and, uh, you know, we, we, and, and, and also around the world, I think it will edge back up to the 50, uh, 50 to 60 range over here, which at least gives us an opportunity to uh, look forward on, on what kind of projects are, are happening. You know, one should remember this dramatic decline. I mean, we're, we're only off right now 11 uh, percent. Twelve percent from the highs. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're we're in correction mode, which is the ten to twenty percent down. Uh, if it weren't for actually the energy sector, we'd be down about nine or ten percent, which is barely uh, the correction mode. Um, uh, so you know, as far as that's concerned, uh, you know, I think that we, uh, you know, we could get over. Agitated because of the headlines of how big these uh, decreases are going. But we should talk a little bit also about what this means for the Fed. And, yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, everyone says, uh, you know, Jeremy, was was that a mistake, that quarter point? Well, that was the past. We could discuss it whether that was a mistake or, or not. But right now, uh, and especially, by the way, one thing that was a little disconcerting, the economic news has been coming in soft. So um, we had a initial job with claims, which is the weekly number. It jumped up quite a bit two ninety three well above estimates is a little bit i don 't know if this is the beginning of the softening of of the uh, labor market. This is uh, a very volatile short-run indicator, so you don't know, want well, can't read too much into it,
1: Professor. Let me let me jump in here for a second because with that specifically, it, it, could it also be a timing issue with the jobs, uh, with the unemployment report, the uh, the weekly claims, just because of the time of the year? We're coming off the holiday season, and all those part-time jobs may be out of the mix right now.
2: Yeah, but, but technically, this is seasonally adjusted.
1: Okay, all right. You know,
2: I mean, you're right, and sometimes the seasonal adjustment is off. And I think that's been mentioned a little bit because you know, it depends on the week you know, and exactly. uh, you know, when Christmas and, and New Year's fall. so you're right, we need to look a little bit further ahead as far as that's concerned. But you know, looking just on forget about what what's happening on we can talk about the real economy. Manufacturing is definitely down quite a bit. Uh, but uh you know, when we take a look at what's happening in the real economy, the inflation with this oil decline and gasoline continuing to drop now, you know, in the 180 range per gallon, we're going to have a really low inflation. And I don't think, you know, if they were having this March meeting today, now we're only at the end of January, I would say they will not go. Now, there's, you know, there's still going to be six weeks. We're definitely not going into January. I mean, they virtually announced that. That's not the puzzle. What we're going to hear about next week on the January meeting is, is, how concerned are they um <laughs> will that be in the statement we are now concerned about that because that will be a signal when we next week next wednesday that'll be a signal that they're really uncertain about going uh in march which is their first quote scheduled increases you take a look at the fed funds market which uh uh you know gives us an idea about you know what they're thinking and let me just tell you uh they think year end fed funds is going to be 62 basis points that that is hmm. that's about one in, less than one increase from where we are today
1: well and you weren't you weren't a believer and i believe it was stanley fisher who made the comment uh, about the the potential of four rate rises this year yeah. you weren't you weren't a believer in that right
2: i mean i was not a believer i mean i was saying weeks ago that that was that that's not going to happen um yeah i personally think both he and Dudley Dudley used a canned speech that he had from December and said it again without the new (laughs) news (laughs) if you want to know the truth. (laughs) Sam Fisher was, you know, I know Sam very well. He's a great economist. Um, I think he was being really too insensitive to what he was seeing. You know, the Fed doesn't supposed to look at the stock market every day and make a decision They look at longer term. We had a very strong employment report, as we know, for the month of December, Um, although it was cushioned by the fact that participation rate went up, the unemployment rate did not tick down again, which alleviates a little bit of that concern of the pressure. But the momentum on jobs, unless it weakens significantly, this is what the Fed is looking at. Means the unemployment rate will continue to go down because dem- demography is only providing 50 to 100,000 mm-hmm. new jobs a month. If we increase the number of new jobs by 200 to 250, or even like 300, like we did last time, that's got to eat into the unemployment rate down and down, tighter, tighter labor markets, unless we get a surge of people coming into the labor market, the participation rate. But in- unless that happens, that's the fed that's what the fed is looking on that's why janet yellen tightened in december but clearly what we see in the world economy and don't forget one thing is important they did not tighten in october because of what was going on in china well china yeah. isn't better today than it was in last october so they use the excuse not, uh, in not uh, in not tightening in september Because of China and the international situation, so they're not oblivious to it. Um, Fortunately, as I say, there's we know they're not going to act next week, but the statement's going to be important. The December meeting, uh, the March meeting, is going to be the key meeting.
1: Are you still bullish on? on And you've talked about it quite a bit about about the Dow. At some point, maybe towards the end of the year, Uh, the challenge. It's a little more challenging. Yeah, quite a bit more. Yes, to be
2: a ten percent up. Well, now we need to be twenty percent up and uh you know that, but not impossible i mean okay. we, we uh, let's let, you know right now, you know we're looking at a p e ratio of around fifteen and right. which is average for all history and low in a low interest rate environment, which we certainly are going to be in, so yeah. you know if we get if, if if China gets its footing at even a lower rate if oil. And I, by the way, I always announced this back in December. I need yep. we need stability in that oil and, and commodity area. We get stability there if it can kind of move back to 40, and people say, "My God, all right, the world is not falling apart." Yep. You know that that's not a, a, any uh, wild forecasting in, in, into the year end.
1: I'm Dan Loney. You're listening to a business radio special, Market Madness. Our guests are Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel and as well Jeremy Schwartz, who's the Director of Research at WisdomTree, also the host of Behind the Markets, which airs every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Sirius XM 111. Uh, Jeremy Schwartz, with, with your work at, at WisdomTree, obviously this volatility has kind of, I, I think it's probably thrown thrown a lot of people for a loop. Uh, what has kind of been the philosophy that uh, that maybe WisdomTree and, and probably a lot of, of firms have been looking at to kind of handle this short-term volatility.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say I say two things, Dan. Um, you know, one, you know, we've one of the things WisdomTree was founded on. We, we and and this goes back to a lot of my research I did with Professor Siegel. You know, there's a real emphasis on dividends and sort of cash flows from the market. And and one of the interesting points that the professor talks about, you know, the P ratios and earnings yields. When I look at the dividend yield on the S and P 500 today, you know, the yield today is around 2.3 percent. Which you know may not seem like an absolutely high number, but when when you look back in the last six seven years, when was the last time you had a 2.3 percent yield? It was September 2009, and at September 2009, the S&P was around a thousand. When you're today, you're around you know 1,900, a little bit less. Which means that dividends have grown with the market. You know, in the last six years, by over 90 percent because your yields are at the same level. And so, you know, a lot of people worry this has just been this Fed-driven rally that there's not this underlying support from from fundamentals. And and here, you know, you could point the dividend growth has been been keeping up at 10% a year with the market. And so, focusing on dividends is certainly one way. You know, we think about you know how to how to stay in the market, get some cash flows from from investing. Um, you know, we've also been been trying to create some alternative strategies. Uh, now, these are strategies that can go short the market. Uh, these are sort of brand new funds that we launched at the end of December. Right. Uh, and very interestingly, you know, they, because of, we, we tried to create a, a fundamentally based indicator of how to, to hedge the market. Um, you know, a lot of people look at technical indicators to try to hedge. This one was looking at trends in profit margins, profit quality, valuations. And, you know, the readings there, because profits were declining last year, it did have a hedge on the market. So, where where the market's down today, you know, since we launched these funds at the end of December, market's down about nine percent. You know, we have a long short strategy that's that's literally flat because it's been fully hedged on the market, and then we have a a second bearish version of that. We'll actually go short the market when the indicators are are reading negatively, and that's been short the market since we launched, so it's actually up nine percent. Uh, and so these are what we call, you know, liquid alternatives as a category. People, you know, it's a way to help lower the volatility overall from long-only portfolios. And, and, based on just that profit decline, you know, we would become less hedged once profits stop declining. Right. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how the profit ratings start coming in this quarter and, and see what really what really happens there.
2: Uh, I, I just want to follow up then one thing that, about the dividends, uh, and and this is important. This is exactly what, what Jeremy Schwartz said: two point three percent dividend yield. The 10-year bond is 2.0. Yeah. You go back in history, there's not many times, certainly in the, in the post-World War II period, where you have dividend yields above the government bond yield. I, I think I heard an announcement yesterday that over 60% of the S&P uh, 500 now have dividend yields Above the the bond yield, yeah, and I, I think what's also important to remember, and and I'm I'm saying this because everyone says where can I get yield? I mean, interest rates are not going to go up that much. Forget it. I mean, uh, you're you're never going to get much more than one one and a half percent in your savings account. The long term bonds are going to be about two. And here, you know, there are many stocks with dividend yields that are that are in the three. And, and remember, this last year, 2015, was not a good one for earnings. Right. We had an earnings recession. Earnings are going to be down like 6% on the S&P 500. Dividends were up 10%. And, I mean, this just shows you that firms have more... Th- I mean, uh, and and they've been growing in excess of 10% ever since the bottom of the recession in 2009. So they've got the cash flow. There's no problem. And my feeling is that we're going to see a migration of investors thinking, how am I going to get yield in the future? and they're going to be more seriously looking uh, at, at the, the dividend payers and, and the equity market.
1: And you see that probably continuing at least through through 2016 and, and maybe even a little bit beyond that?
2: Yeah, I, uh, definitely. I mean, as I say, firms are only paying out one-third yeah. of their uh, earnings as as uh, dividends. Um, they're using about another third or, or so, even a little bit more, for buybacks. Now, they can easily switch buybacks to dividends, I mean, we can go into all the reasons about why, why is there a choice of one versus the other, but they've got more than enough free cash flow, even with the slow economic growth, to uh, to um, to pay dividends. One should remember that if we go back before uh, the 1970s, firms used to pay out two thirds of their earnings as dividends, and they're nowhere near <laughs> that level now. So it's it's there. It, there's great opportunities for. For growth in the dividend uh, area, which I think uh, you know has always been, if you go back in history, the historical one of the historical motivations for stocks. It wasn't always just get capital gains; it was to get income. And I think that that era might be coming back.
1: You're listening to Sirius XM 111, our special market madness. I'm Dan Loney here in our studios in Philadelphia. We're joined by uh, Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel and also Jeremy Schwartz, who's Director of Research at Wisdom Tree. Uh, I'll ask to both of you, Professor Siegel first, is this then, with all that has happened on on the markets, is it a buying opportunity? Well,
2: I mean, I, I think certainly, you know, if anyone who can look ahead three to five years, yeah, yeah I mean, at right. these at these levels, is it a short-term bottom? Which, of course, everyone you know wants to know was yesterday's 500-point sell-off, and we got a little bit.
1: Right.
2: You know, honestly, I mean, I'm kind of been a bit watcher all this, and and and. It's, it's virtually impossible to, to actually peg a short term. I would have liked to have seen even more distress. Uh, I would have liked to have seen, you know, a thousand-point decline on, uh, with the VIX, you know, which is the volatility index, instead of just hitting 50. By the way, it's back down to 25, hitting, uh, excuse me, hitting 30, hitting 40. Not 50 50, we hit it that, you know, just very briefly for a few minutes uh, on that August 25th flash crash. But, yep. you know, at least I would like to see a little bit more panic. But remember, in the short run, no one, you know, it, it it's it's uh, really a crapshoot to try to pick that out. I think when you look at these values right here, yeah, it might go down a, a little bit more. Could it be a bear market? That's another 8%. Yes you know people say could we get into the bear market territory but i don't see a recession on the yeah. table yeah. and uh, you know given that yields are going to remain no, low by the way as you heard draghi today mario draghi said today we might do some more qe yeah uh, and and uh, you know the fed could go back to zero it could do some more qe it could go to negative deposit rates which by the way the europeans have already gone to which uh, has been suggested by some Policy, and that we have not done yet. Um, so I mean, there's there are definitely more stimulus measures. We're not totally out of bullets the way some people claim. Um, and by the way, I don't think that quarter point is what tipped all this problem. I mean, uh, you know, that you know, 25 basis points on Fed funds is 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 you know is not the source of a recession. um... You know, maybe it was. You know, They didn't expect the commodity price collapse, and right. they got boxed into that position. But they've got more bullets to go. And, I mean, just Draghi's mentioned today, and they're already at negative deposit rates, that they can do more QE has uh, certainly encouraged the markets in, in that direction.
1: Jeremy Schwartz.
0: Yeah, no, I think professor, the professor made a very important point and I was gonna try to when he started talking about the Fed thinking about a March meeting, I was gonna gonna mention there's two very important meetings before that March meeting. You have the ECB's March meeting, March tenth, and and actually, you know, there's two Bank of Japan meetings. Um, Japan is you know, when you when you talk about what's happening in sort of from central banks, we do have this divergence story where the Feds on path to maybe hike and again this year at some point. Um, but you do have potentially more easing from the ECB and the Bank of Japan. We've been looking for Japan to actually add to their stimulus and potentially as soon as they're meeting next next Friday. Um, you know, they've seen a, a strengthening currency the last uh, last year starting. Uh, they've been having these deflationary pressures and the strong end is not going to help that. And it's actually at a, at a stronger level than when they, they, they un- took their last QE program o- o- October of 2014. Um, so we we think there could be more more stimulus coming from other central banks, and so you look at valuations in some of these markets. Whether you're looking at Europe and Japan, uh, are a little bit lower PE multiples than the U.S. And so we do still have some preference that it's, it is a global opportunity set. Don't just stay focused on the U.S. Uh, that you do have you know some good good opportunities in in Europe in, in Japan. And particularly when you think about trying to get those two markets, we, we talk about currency hedging those markets. As, as you have this divergence in central bank policies, that could lead to a, a strengthening dollar versus the euro and yen. And, and that's something we still would, would advocate for when you are thinking about those two markets.
1: What about the, the strategies for some of these emerging markets out there right now? Because that's, that's certainly an area that a lot of uh, probably investors are, are, are thinking about at this point.
0: Yeah, right. yeah, I don't know. I was looking at one of our charts today on, on D E M, it's our high dividend emerging market strategy, and the price level is back to February of two thousand nine levels. You know, so you think about you know where the S and P was at that time, right? It was in the six hundred seven seven hundreds, uh now you're nineteen hundred. I mean the, the the market there has been been really hurt by the currency moves um, largely. I mean the the dollar's been so strong versus a lot of the end currencies. Uh, And that, you know, you get yields in some of these emerging market stocks in the 6-7% to range. You know, again, when the S&P is at 2-3, the valuations there, if the currencies, you know, become a little bit over-moved, I mean, a lot of that is driven by the same oil price discussion that we started off with, is there's so much fear about oil and a lot of the emerging market currencies. Are pegged to oil, like Russia and Brazil in particular. Um, but if, if some of that starts to stabilize in the next, you uh, know, the medium term, EM could be one of the better value opportunities out there. Professor,
2: let me follow up on that. And I, you know, I listen. I always try to admit my mistakes. And I was early. I thought emerging markets were cheap six months ago and a year ago. <laughs> and they they certainly got much cheaper. But wow, when I you know I look at them today, uh, what do we have? PEs. Around ten, Jeremy, or lower. We have dividend yields on uh, five, six, seven percent. Um, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm and, and 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 Jeremy also mentioned about Europe and, and Asia. Uh, I'm looking at the, the screen, and then the P/E ratio in Europe is you know twelve, thirteen now. These are very cheap in a low interest rate environment. I mean, I guess uh, I don't know what what is Japan at the present time is around 12 or 13. Jeremy, you might have better data on that.
0: Yeah, you look at the you know we have a, a strategy DXJ that's looking at the sort of global multinationals in Japan and, and Ford P's. There are 12 times earnings, mm-hmm. uh, so that is a I you know I think a very attractive place. You know, broader Japan maybe around 14 times, but still for Japan, I mean that's the historical lows for the last 30 years. It's very rare that you've gotten multiples that low for Japan.
1: Uh, Professor, I know you have to run in just a second, but just to kind of wrap this up with with all that's happened, how do you see this this all kind of playing out with the markets, at least in the in, in the short term?
2: Well, again, it's very hard to pick an absolute bottom. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more panic, but I like the rally today. Yep. It may pick, go back, test it, and come up. You know, technical people look at these short runs where there's a lot of emotion, um, so it's very hard to, to do it. You know, to, to catch that bottom but i think what our listeners should realize you know is on a historical valuation basis there is no recession in the cards and we even had a you know a profit recession just last year the p e ratios are at or below their 100 150 year averages in an era of record low interest rates that is pretty extraordinary. And yield will be provided by equities for investors in the future. I don't think we're ever going to get the yields we used to get on, in the fixed income market.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.